Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to More Than a Muse. I'm Stani. And I am Sadie, and welcome back. We are back to our, I guess, normal episode today with a new forgotten artist from the past that we are spotlighting. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited to share what I have found about this one. I'm excited to hear about him. Yes. So I guess to start out, are you familiar with the musical Singing in the Rain? Yes. So you know like what it's about? Kind of. I definitely know the major musical number. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the song. Singing Singing in in the the Rain. rain. Wait, isn't it about like a lady who can't sing, so another lady sings for her? Yeah, exactly. I remember seeing a TikTok about this last week. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure it was a TikTok that gave me the idea for this artist. So shout out to TikTok. But yes, in the musical Singing in the Rain, it's like happening right when movies are transitioning from being silent to having audio and sound yes and so all of a sudden these actresses have to have good voices they don't just have to be beautiful and there is someone with a very annoying voice and she's annoying as well she's like the villain of the film and (laughs) she has to get her singing and her speaking overdubbed by this other actress and spoiler alert at the premiere of the movie what ends up happening is the crowd goes wild and they're like sing for us so then they convince the girl to like stand behind the curtain and sing for her and then she's just lip syncing up front but then they end up pulling the curtain up to display the actual girl who is singing so that she gets the credit she deserves it's a cute movie i do remember watching it once when i was little and i i did love it then i actually only watched it for the first time recently i've been going through watching some old movies recently so i watched gentlemen preferred blondes Mm. and then i watched singing in the rain and singing in the rain is a really weird movie it's really good but i feel like so much of it is the musical numbers and not the plot and I'm like why are we focusing on like the weirdest parts of these movies but you know what it's great it's charming that's what stood the test of time exactly and I was like you know I can see that like at the time this was probably revolutionary because like the musical numbers were beautiful the choreography the costuming like it was a beautiful movie it's just the storytelling was interesting to me. There's my one critique. <laughs> I love but it that. was a sweet movie. <laughs> so today we are talking about Marnie Nixon, who is basically the real life example. And she was a ghost singer in Hollywood. So for a brief state of the arts, just about ghost singers. That's such a cool term. Sorry, I know. Like, I love ghost it. Ghost singer. singer. I know. But throughout much of the 1800s, movie musicals were actually pretty frequently featuring ghost singers to cover the lead actor's vocals. This 
quote from this article said, while this may seem blasphemous today, as actors far and wide accept musical roles to prove they can do it all, it used to be a pretty prevalent practice, which I do think is funny. I think now we have the expectation that they're able to sing and dance and act, you know, as good as they need to. But back then, I don't think that was like the main point. They would rather have like the movie star that would pull in the crowds rather than a new person who could sing well to play the part as good as it would need to be played. Can you imagine if, like, the movie rendition of Les Mis had been Ghost Sun? It wouldn't be nearly as impressive. <laughs> no. Everyone would have been so pissed. It's just funny. Like, mm-hmm. it's funny to think about that, that that was such a common thing, whereas nowadays, yeah, it would be complete blasphemy. Yeah, absolutely. The problem, though, with these ghost singers is they were definitely like the unsung angels, so to speak, because not only were they not getting the credit, but they did not get the pay that they needed to. And they were hardly ever actually credited. Like they wanted to Mm -hmm. keep it a full on secret, even on the soundtrack, which doesn't even feature the actors necessarily. The singers that were dubbing the famous performers, they weren't mentioned anywhere on it. Like the songs were credited as the person singing, the actress. Oh, my God gosh but and it was like why because hollywood was still in its golden age still blasting in the Mm. glory of its grand illusion and this next line broke my heart because i didn't know this but revealing that christopher Plummer couldn't indeed produce the heart-wrenching edelweiss he's so famous for in the sound of music would have been earth shattering and indeed my earth shattered as i was doing this research what it he was an overdub. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, who overdubbed it? His name was Bill Lee, and he was the singer for Christopher Plummer in The Sound of Music. Wow, well, he has a beautiful voice. A beautiful voice. Yeah. And like, the, I mean, it doesn't take away from Christopher Plummer because what a handsome man. What a and great his actor. was very impeccable. Oh, <laughs> I absolutely love that man in that the movie. man, I bet you could ask every single person from our generation that's seen The Sound of Music and I doubt I had no clue Mm -hmm. oh my god it made me laugh this quote in the article said fair warning if you'd like to preserve the illusion Hollywood has fortified for you do not continue reading (laughs) the first one was the Billy and Christopher Plummer three other examples I'm not as familiar with the movie Gypsy but Lisa Kirk was the overdub for Rosalind Russell's ghost singer as Mama Rose and Gypsy didn't know Mm. this one debbie reynolds ironically was the voice in singing in the rain and was dubbed by betty noise and like i said this is particularly ironic as reynolds played kathy who was hired to dub the singing voice of a famous movie star actor in the film's plot so (laughs) what was happening in the movie was happening in exact real life oh man but i guess i mean they got that plot for the movie from somewhere because that's what was happening very commonly yeah and a more modern example is in High School Musical. In the first one, Drew Seeley is the singing voice of Zac Efron. Did what? You, know you didn't know no? that? Uh-huh. Wait, so does Zac Efron do the other ones? Though? Yes. In the second and third one, he is the singing voice. But in the first one, it's not Zac. It's Drew Seeley. How did I not know that? I don't remember how I learned it, but I think like I remember as a kid, I think someone pointed out like, don't you notice that their voices are different? And I was like what but i think drew seeley was more credited like i think if you looked in the cd and i i think i remember hearing that they they did like a mix of their voices so i don't know if it was just drew or i don't know for sure but it wasn't all zach efron that's so interesting apparently he got a lot of voice lessons i'm sure (laughs) to get to where he was by bed on it in high school musical too that's crazy because now he's like so acknowledged as a singer a singer 
it mentioned that Hollywood was just more inclined to cast the bankable stars and the trained singers in films. And the one that we're going to talk about today is probably like the most, I don't know, I, I don't want to say famous because she's not famous at all, but she has the most famous roles and her name is Marnie Nixon. So we know her voice, of course, not her face from the standards like getting to know you from King and I, I feel oh. pretty from West Side Story and I could have oh danced all night from My Fair Lady. So she Iconic was a singing songs. voice in My Fair Lady, which we've talked about yeah. Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's the story behind that where Audrey Hepburn didn't want to be overdubbed and she wanted yeah. to sing. But then Marnie Nixon filled in. I think we also talked about that in our Julie Andrews episode, too. So Margaret Nixon Gerthron. Yes, was born February 22nd in 1930. Like I mentioned, she was known professionally as Marnie Nixon. She was an American soprano and a pretty major ghost singer for featured actresses in musical films. She's now recognized as the singing voice of leading actresses on the soundtrack of several musical, including Deborah Kerr in The King and I, Natalie Wood in West Side Story, and Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady, although her roles were concealed from audiences when the films were released, which is crazy. So like... Some of the most iconic movie musicals of all time, those three and those yeah. voices. Like when I think of the golden age of Hollywood and like the singing voice, like I associate it with those movies. Like that's just Agreed. what it sounds like to me. Oh and it was gosh. her. That's crazy. So she was born in Altadena, California to Charles Nixon and Margaret Elsa McGurthron. She was actually a child film actress. Apparently, she played like little bit parts, quote, the freckle-faced brat that she called her typical role um, in just a string of really random Hollywood movies. I didn't get what actual movies they were, but she didn't necessarily pursue that. She also played the violin, but at 11, she already had a singing voice and she won a vocal competition at the Los Angeles County Fair and found her quote true calling which is cute yeah from then she went on to study singing in opera with Vera Schwartz and I don't really know who she is I don't know a lot about her but I do know she was a pretty major soprano who came over from Austria and lived in the United States In 1947, when she was just 17, this is by the time she's adopted her stage name, she made her Hollywood Bowl solo debut in Carmina Burana with the Los Angeles Philharmonic under the conductor Leopold Stokowski. So big deal. During her teenage years also, she worked as a messenger at the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Knowing of her musical ability, she had perfect pitch and was an impeccable sight reader. The studio began recruiting her to furnish the singing voices of younger actresses. They would pay her a little bit, and this work helped pay for her vocal lessons. So she was working in a studio. You know, they just probably needed someone to fill in, and she was just there to do it. She also later studied opera at Tanglewood with two people named Sarah Caldwell and Boris Goldovsky. So tons of singing musical training she was a natural at it so now here is like her early films and musicals and it is crazy how much work she has done but her film career started in 1948 when she sang the vocals of the angels heard by ingrid bergman in joan of arc the same year she did her first 
dubbing work when she provided Margaret O'Brien's singing voice in 1948's Big City and then 1949's The Secret Garden. So that was her very first time doing any overdubbing. She sang for Jan Crane in Cheaper by the Dozen in 1950, which I had no idea there was like an original Cheaper by the Dozen from the 50s. Oh, oh. I was like, there's no music in Cheaper by the Dozen. Yeah, literally. I was like, oh, no way. And she actually also dubbed Marilyn Monroe's high notes in Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. So the part was like, square cutter, square shape, those rocks don't lose their shapes. The there is is her. Marilyn Monroe did sing most of the song, but she just kind of filled in where she needed the help, I guess. Interesting. I know. 1953, she also sang for Ida Lupino and Jennifer. And but then she also herself appeared on Broadway in 1954 in a musical called The Girl in Pink Tights. So in 1956, she worked closely with Deborah Kerr, who was more of a major movie star, to supply the star's singing voice for the film version of Rodgers and Hammerstein's The King and I. What I thought was interesting is apparently Deborah Kerr broke with Hollywood convention and she publicly credited Nixon singing. And they actually worked together to again in her performance in 1957 show or musical called An Affair to Remember. Oh, which I have seen, I believe. I actually haven't seen that one. Maybe I haven't seen the musical version of it. I don't remember music in it, but I remember the movie. Have you seen Sleepless in Seattle? Yes, uh uh-huh. You know the movie that they're talking about in Sleepless in Seattle? Oh, is that An Affair to Remember? It's An Affair to Remember. Oh, okay. (laughs) There yeah, we go. It did have Deborah Kerr in it. So yeah, there probably was singing in it that I just can't remember. It's a very, very long movie. Oh, really? Um, well, I mean, it's two hours. It's shorter than Batman, but <laughs> but it's long for like the time period. It was made in 1957. It's very okay, cute. Yeah. It's a romance. It's pretty sad too. Dang. Um, well, maybe I need to go see it and you can yeah. hear Marnie Nixon. I recommend it. What was interesting, so Ms. Kerr was nominated for an Academy Award in 1956 for her role as Anna in The King and I, and the film soundtrack album sold hundreds of thousands of copies. But for singing Anna's part on that album, Miss Nixon recalled that she received a total of $420. Okay, that's messed up. If you're going to yep. at least like have someone pretend to be somebody else, give them more of the royalties. Or at least, like, yeah, royalties. She just got like a lump sum. And like... I think it's crazy that she goes on to win an Academy Award for it, which, like, I don't want to take away from Deborah Kerr's talent, but, like, where's the recognition? I guess it, like, begs the question of, like, what was she getting the award for? Her acting? Yeah. For the singing and the acting together? Exactly. And, like, if it would have been more, like, well-known, you Mm -hmm. know, and, like, more publicly credited that it was actually not her singing, I don't know how that would have changed things. Another quote from Marnie's, she said, you always had to sign a contract with that nothing would be revealed. 20th Century Fox, when I did The King and I, threatened me, she continued. They said, if anybody ever knows that you did any part of the dubbing for Deborah Kerr, we'll see to it that you don't work in town again. Which is crazy. So, but the fact that like Deborah Kerr like came out with it, I think it was okay. Because obviously, you'll see, she does plenty more work in town. I also read an article, too, that like mentioned that like she never breached her contract, but it was kind of more widely known like within the industry that it was her. So I don't think like the mm-hmm. common person 
wouldn't know it who just like went to the movies but also like people who kind of knew what was going on in Hollywood they knew who Marnie Nixon was and they knew that it was her which is I guess good that year she also sang for Sophia Loren in Boy on a Dolphin and in 1960, she dubbed Janet Lee's voice in Pepe and had an on-screen chorus role in Can Can. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. I just found this account, but her name is Kate Rose Morgan. Kate underscore Rose underscore Morgan is her username. Ooh. And she has a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful home. Oh, this is what um, I want my home to look like yeah. one day. It's so <gasps> cool. Like, it looks like a mix of a Wes Anderson film and the album Lover by Taylor That's Swift. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> Literally, as I see a neon sign that says love in yep. one of these reels. Very, very fitting. Oh, She also has, like, a poster that says, In Dolly We Trust, which I feel like is very Sadie approved. Um, Guess who bought a sweatshirt last weekend that said, In Dolly We Trust. So oh, there you go. You, It is indeed Sadie approved. Yeah, it's just beautiful. She has, like, really colorful wallpaper and, like, different things going on, and it just looks gorgeous. See, this so, is, though, the brief moments yeah. that I wish I wasn't married because... <laughs> If I had the financial stability to buy my own home and make it look like this, I would. But if I'm with a man, he will not approve. And you know what? I have to respect that to a certain point. That's fair. I know. I think people are always like, do whatever you want. It's like when you're in a partnership, you kind of have to give and take. He does live there too. (laughs) He doesn't want to be surrounded by pink. But you know what? I sure would love to be in this home. There you go. Just get to the point where you can have like a home office or a home studio and you can just go all out with bright this pink. Aesthetic. Oh yeah. my gosh. This is amazing. All right. Everyone needs to beautiful. go. K underscore Rose underscore Morgan. And there's a co-host of Colorful Home Vibe. Yes. I don't know what that is but so it's basically like a curated instagram account it looks like where like okay tag if you like tag their thing if you have a colorful home then sometimes Mm. they'll repost it oh so yeah just like a collection of maybe like different aesthetics that are still just as colorful because i do want a nice colorful home one day same i don't want everything pink but i do love my color me (laughs) too i'm not a minimalist at all so I'm ready to embrace every second of the color. <laughs> Same. I am not minimalist in the slightest. Go check it out. You won't regret it. Even if it's not your style, you'll at least appreciate it. Yes. Okay. Well, today I have a painter. It's Julia Claire dot art. Julia and then Claire is spelled C-L-A-I-R-E. She is a oil. And if you go, you might, I don't know what kind of painter gouache gouache painter cool oil and gouache painter so she has very cool beautiful stuff on her instagram she does like a lot of reels like processes videos i always love watching those they're so beautiful and yeah just like amazing artwork that is for sale like you can purchase and she does have open commissions my favorite one is like the like little fish I don't know if it's yeah. just a goldfish. I'm not very well versed on my fishes. So. It's so cute. It is so cute. I love the, yeah. And even this like, little one of a little sushi bento box, sushi plate. Even like the soda cans, mm-hmm. mascara, everything just looks really cool. 
yeah definitely like such a cool like distinct style beautiful painting beautiful colors i love that so yeah that is julia claire dot art go check Amazing. her out Amazing. all right now back to the show so then west side story so in 1961 the studio kept her work on the film as the singing voice of natalie woods maria a very iconic role a secret but they actually kept it a secret from the actress natalie wood which is crazy they didn't even tell the actress yeah so like i don't know when she found out i have no sitting in the movie theater i hope not (laughs) i have no idea she also dubbed Rita Moreno singing in the film's Tonight Quintet, which is another mm. very iconic song. Mm-hmm. Apparently, she asked the film's producers, but she did not receive direct royalties from her work on the film. But Leonard Bernstein contractually gave her one fourth of one percent of his personal royalties from it, which like is not a lot. But I do think it's cool that he gave them to her yeah. when like that's not his job. And like Mm -hmm. one fourth of one percent does not seem like a lot. But when it was West Side Story, like that probably is a decent actually amount of money. It makes me like him more. Yeah. Because he was the composer. He didn't have to do that, but he did. So that was like his way of like recognizing her talent involved in it. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) gosh, that's not fair. They should have come up with some sort of system. Her kind of like renown, though, because she was doing so many major films that were like becoming very successful, kind of helped bring her trade into the light and encourage her to push for official recognition. A quote from her said, The anonymity didn't bother me until I sang Natalie Wood's songs in West Side Story. And she told this to the Times in 1967. And then quote, Then I saw how important my singing was to the picture. I was giving my talent and somebody else was taking the credit. Which, absolutely fair because... It's a musical and most of what's happening in that movie is singing. And that's like very crucial to the, mm-hmm. to the actress. That's um, like every part of it. That would be mm-hmm. frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Apparently she ended up taking them to court. And after a court case, she received royalties from sales of the soundtrack album and spoke out for the rights of ghost singers, which is really cool. And again, like yeah. just shows how common this was because she's like, you know, standing up for this. In 1962, she also sang Wood's High Notes in Gypsy. And then for My Fair Lady in 1964, she again worked with the female lead of the film, which was, of course, Audrey Hepburn. And she performed the songs of Hepburn's character, Eliza. Because of her uncredited dubbing work in these films, Time Magazine called her the ghostest with the mostest. (laughs) which i love that which like kind of goes to show if the times at the time like new york times was talking about her obviously they kind of knew who she was so i'm glad that she was at least getting some kind of recognition for it but anyways it's weird yeah quote that she gave to the new york journal she said it's fascinating getting inside the actresses you're singing for it's like cutting off the top of their heads and seeing what's underneath you have to know how they would feel as well as how they would talk in order to sing as they would sing if they could sing which i thought was funny (laughs) (laughs) but like how difficult is it because it's not like she was just like singing especially if they were keeping it a secret from these actresses like audrey hepburn didn't really know Natalie Wood didn't know like that means she was probably watching what they filmed and was trying to match it was trying to match the emotion of what they were doing with their bodies like that would be very difficult 
Yeah. It's like on a level of like doing impressions on top mm-hmm. of them to be like an incredible singer. Like even the fact that she matched that note of Marilyn Monroe, you can't tell that the voice changes. Oh, you have no. And it's not like the recording technology and the producing technology is what it is today. Because yeah. like now it's really easy to blend things. You can auto tune, you can pitch shift things, but like you could do that back then. Yeah, that wasn't as well developed yeah. in the fifties and sixties. And so you're right. Like you can't even tell. And I think that's what makes it so impressive. She went on, she made guest appearances with Leonard Bernstein's Young People's concert, which I think is cool. It seems that her and Leonard Bernstein went on and maintained a relationship. Sounds like he obviously had a big respect for her if he was willing to, you know, give her a portion albeit small, um, you know, a portion of his royalties. But still, like, it's cool that they continued working together. In 1960, she sang Improvisation Sir Malarm. I don't know what that is. From Plis Salon Pli by Pierre Boulet. I think that's an opera song. And that was in a program titled Folk Music in Concert Hall. Oh, this was fun. Before My Fair Lady was released in theaters in 1964, she played Eliza in a revival of the musical at New York City Center. So she actually had played Eliza in an off-Broadway production of it. This is cool. So her first on-screen appearance was as Sister Sophia in the 1965 film The Sound of Music. So she's one of the nuns, which is amazing. In the DVD commentary to the film, director Robert Wise comments that audiences were finally able to see the woman whose voice they knew so well. Oh, man. Which is just like, you know... (laughs) Cool that like, she was getting that recognition from other people in the industry. In 1967, she was the singing voice of Princess Serena in a live action and animated version of Jack and the Beanstalk on NBC. And then in the 1960s, she made concert appearances specializing in contemporary music as a soloist with the New York Philharmonic and gave recitals at Carnegie Hall, Alice Tooley Hall and the Town Hall in New York City. So beyond her overdubbing work, she was doing a lot of work as a singer, but obviously not in like as, I don't know, like famous roles, right? She wasn't the movie star, but she was doing a lot of work as a performer, which I thought was really cool. Sad quote that she told the Times in 1981, she said, it got so I'd lent my voice on to so many others that I felt like it no longer belonged to me. It was eerie and I had lost a part of myself, which is such a sad quote but you know like we said if her main work was like miming others and like trying to match how other people would sing I'm sure that would make it feel like you know your voice isn't really your own which is crazy and I can imagine as a singer like that being very difficult so So for some of her later works she taught at the California Institute of the Arts in Santa Clarita from 1969 to 1971 and then she joined the faculty of the Music Academy of the West which is in Santa Barbara in 1980 she taught there for many years in the late 1970s and early 80s she actually hosted a children's television show in Seattle called boomerang and that actually like she won four emmy awards as best actress and made numerous other television appearances on variety shows and as a guest star in primetime series so i like that she got you know her chance on screen Mm -hmm. got some recognition with those four emmy awards which is amazing 
As far as her opera repertoire, it included Zerbinetta in Ardian of Naxos. Oh, dear. I'm really going to expose myself with all these other <laughs> languages, but it's fine. That's Susanna okay. in The Marriage of Figaro, both Blonde and Constance in Die Entferung aus dem... Oh, I hope no Germans are listening. I'm so sorry. Etta <laughs> in La Traviata, and then the title role in La Piercole and Feline in Mignon. I, you know what? I studied opera for like a year and a half, and alas, You're what do I have better to show than for? I would. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but her opera credits include performances at Los Angeles Opera, Seattle Opera, San Francisco Opera, and the Tanglewood Music Festival, among many others. Mm-hmm. So very accomplished, even still. She toured with Liberace and Victor Bourget, and later in her own cabaret shows on stage in 1984, she originated the role of Edna off Broadway in Taking My Turn. And that was composed by Gary William. And that actually helped her receive a nomination for a Drama Desk Award. She also originated the role of Sadie McGibbon in Opal in 1992 so like not more popular musicals but still cool 1997 she had a film role as Aunt Alice and I think I do and then under her own name beginning in the 1980s she recorded songs by Jerome Kern George Gershwin and various classical composers so she finally you know was putting out music as herself and she was actually nominated for two Grammy Awards for best classical performance vocal soloist one for her Schoenberg album and one for her Copeland album so I love that later in her life she started recording music under her own name and was getting actual like legitimate recognition for it which is really cool um here's a cool thing in 1998 in the Disney film Mulan she was the singing voice of Grandmother Foth oh cute yeah she wasn't the speaking voice that was a different actress but she was the singing voice and then she returned to stage touring the united states as fraulein schneider in cabaret in 1997 through 1998 and she eventually sang on more than 50 different movie soundtracks in 1999 she originated the role of mrs wilson in the premiere of ballymore that which is an opera in milwaukee wisconsin and that was actually taped for tbs or pbs excuse me (laughs) in regional theater and off broadway she played nurse in romeo and juliet and then appeared in productions of the king and i and the sound of music and throughout this time she's continuing to teach voice lessons and vocal competitions so like just so much constant work which is just amazing and like i said just shows i think how talented she is in 2000 after nearly a half century she returned to broadway as aunt kate in james joyce the dead in 2001 she replaced joan roberts as hallie schiller in the broadway revival of angelus 2003 she was again on broadway as a replacement in role of guido's mother in revival of nine and then her autobiography i could have sung all night which i thought was a cute name that was published in 2006 and then she performed in the 2008 north american tour of cameron mcintosh uk revival of my fair lady in the role of mrs higgins which feels good good i love that she did that um and she then appeared as frau director Kirshner in the 2009 Encores production of the musical Music in the Air in New York City Center. So like up until 2009, like she's working in these like 
big deal productions which is really cool brief thing about her personal life so 1950 she married her first of three husbands his name was ernst gold he actually composed the theme song to the movie exodus and they had three children including the singer and songwriter andrew gold who fun fact a popular songwriter whose hit thank you for being a friend became the theme song for the golden girls so his mom is marty nixon they divorced in 1969 and she was married to lajos fritz fenster from 1971 to 1975 and then to a woodwind player named albert block from 1983 to his death in 2015 she actually survived breast cancer in 1985 and again in 2000 but then she later died from the disease july 24th 2016 at the age of 86 as far as her legacy so Obviously, she did such amazing work singing, but it's kind of like her work as a ghost that is enshrined forever in just like the cinematic classics, West Side Story, because that won for the best picture in 1961, and then My Fair Lady won best picture in 1964. And like I said, there's still incredible movie musical classics, and they were her. And I'm like, how crazy, like it was her voice of the leading lady of both, and they won for best picture. I think the coolest part of this is the fact that, yeah, like, she sang all those parts, and yeah, all of those singing voices sound so distinct and different. Mm -hmm. Like, I would never be like, oh, yeah, it's the same singing voice from The King and I'm My Fair Lady in West Side Story. And maybe, like, if I go back, I could, like, hear it. Pick up on it. Yeah. But just the fact that she was able to change her voice that much in order to match the actresses, like, that's a whole other skill in its own. It's truly incredible. Yeah. She continued singing until she was in her 80s, but eventually came to regard her heard but not seen life with affection. Apparently, she paid it homage in a one-woman show that was called Marnie Nixon, The Voice of Hollywood, which she actually ended up touring the country for a couple years with that show. Mm -hmm. Um, This is also funny. Like I mentioned, she did have that memoir called I Could Have Sung All Night, but the memoir was like written with a ghost named Stephen Cole, who Miss Nixon credited prominently on the cover (laughs) and the title page, which I think is so awesome that she's like, yep, there's a ghostwriter here and I'm going to make sure you know exactly who he is. I love that. Because mm-hmm. most celebrities use ghostwriters. Ghost Absolutely. Which, like, yeah. makes sense if you're not an author writing a whole book. On October 27th of 2008, she was presented with the Singer Symposium's Distinguished Artist Award in New York City. 2011, she was the recipient of the George Peabody Award for Outstanding con- Contributions to American Music. And just like some other things that's like, even though, you know, she was Hollywood's worst kept secrets is mm-hmm. one of my favorite quotes I found. She became something of a cult figure, appearing as a guest on To Tell the Truth and as an answer in clues featured by Jeopardy, Trivial Pursuit, and at least one New York Times crossword puzzle. <laughs> I love so like that. I said, Hollywood's worst kept secret and kind of like the mm-hmm. go-to fun fact of being like, hey, who's the actual voice of, you know, these amazing singers or amazing actresses. So there is Marnie Nixon, like the most amazing life, you know, as far as like musical achievement. And for most of it, she was in the background and was not nearly as famous as the films and the actresses. And also I did not get nearly enough of the monetary compensation that she deserved, Uh, but it is cool that she did take that stand to, you know, get more royalties that she ever so rightfully deserved and helped pave the way a little bit for other 
ghost singers and which you know isn't so much a profession now but obviously was very common in those early 1900s that's crazy so there is that's marnie and she's very beautiful yeah she is I know, I was like, I feel like people might think that because she wasn't seen, only heard that maybe she wasn't as pretty. She's well, that's gorgeous. that's <laughs> what I'm wondering. And it's not like, I'm like, obviously she could act because, I mean, she was she in did. so many Broadway musicals. She literally has an yeah. Emmy, but I guess, you know, with those big performances and those big movies, they wanted to bring in the superstars. So yeah. and she wasn't, she wasn't one of those. She actually looks a lot like Julie Andrews kind of. That's what, a, photos. yeah, some of the um, things I read was like, pointed that out like she actually looks a lot like julie andrews <laughs> yeah she really does who knew that that my fair lady was so controversial because i remember we talked about it of like mm-hmm. everyone thought julie andrews should have it julie andrews really wanted it they gave it to audrey hepburn and, and then, then they somebody else did the sing. singing and the person who did the singing was someone who looks a lot like julie andrews like uh, oh man that would be really hard for audrey hepburn like yeah not fair what they did to marnie but it's Nixon. not these actresses fault no because they didn't even know mm-hmm. but yeah that just that's really sad to be audrey hepburn to like kind of be like i don't want to take over the role of eliza doolittle like i don't want to mm-hmm. take that from julie andrews, julie andrews and then to not even be allowed to sing the part but then i feel like that's one of audrey hepburn's most iconic roles so i know she does she did it, it so well, well. yeah yeah I love that movie. So I actually have the original West Side Story and the original My Fair Lady on vinyl. I'm going to see. Let me see right now if she's credited at all. Yeah. I doubt it. But, you know, not that I can see. The front, it says starring Natalie Wood, directed by screenplay, choreographed music by lyrics by based on this book. But it doesn't actually tell you who's singing on the records. I mean, if we learned anything from Martha Wash's episode, it's that most singers that sang parts weren't credited. I know. (laughs) Until much later. Exactly. (laughs) Which, yeah, is just crazy. Uh, In the My Fair Lady, it just has starring Audrey Hepburn. Nothing about Marnie. So you heard it (laughs) first, folks. Like, yeah. It's true. No credit on anything. Man. Well, now she's got credit on our podcast. At least. <laughs> exactly. I like want to listen to these records now tonight and like, I know, same. like listen to them back to back. See if I can tell if it's the same. No, there is Marnie Nixon, Hollywood's worst kept secret. Thanks so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please leave a like or review or go mm-hmm. follow us on Instagram. Really anything helps. Tell friend, we're happy to have you here and we'll be back again next week with a topic episode to round out this wonderful Women's History Month before we continue on covering women's history for the rest of the year. (laughs) Before we keep on doing what we have been doing this month. (laughs) This whole time. Yep, absolutely. Perfect. Well, we'll talk to you next Monday. Bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.